The 100% Wild Podcast is brought to you by Onyx Hunt, the nation's number one GPS hunting app. Download today in the Google Play and App Store. Hi. <laughs> Welcome back to the Drury Outdoors 100% Wild Podcast, proudly brought to you by Onyx Hunt. I'm Tim Chelswick. I'm Matt Drury, and we got another good episode coming your way. We do. But we got to create the good episode. So watch as this thing unfolds. <laughs> it will blow your mind. Man, that's some hype. <laughs> You're hype, yeah. man. We will hurt a lot of people with this show. Yeah. Because it's that good. Yeah. So it, so we're getting close to the season, right? We're, as we film this, it's, it, well, it we're filming here Wednesday, September 11th, and it will start Sunday, September 15th for us here in Missouri. The exciting thing for me was that my deer cast was reaching out to September 15th so I could see opening day on my deer cast forecast. Yeah. Made well, me happy. And the 10 day, I mean, it's... You, you got, got a long reach. Yeah, it's got a long reach. But it's, you know, looking at it for, for you and I specifically in this area, the bummer part about it, a really good cool front's coming through two days before the full moon hits two days before, like we're going to miss the, the timing best. is not quite <laughs> the right. It sucks. Yeah. Like we're going to miss the best two days. Well, and I think they're forecasting upper eighties for opening day. Uh, yeah. Which like, is going to be a killer. I, I, typically I would not probably go. I know you, no matter what you're going it's Christmas day. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Um, and, and there's the a lot of guys out there breakfast that do that, but I, I won't, if it's that hot, it's mm -hmm. just, I know my spot and I, I know the DNA on my farm market. Sure. always, Terry always talk about that. It's kind of a waste of time as far as if my goal is to go in and see a shooter, mm -hmm. <laughs> which because of the limited amount of time I have to hunt, that is my goal. Yeah. It, it, Usually that's a waste of time this year. You know, we were talking here in the office and I, I may go this year and try to do kind of two things. One, knock the cobwebs off. See if mm -hmm. I can, you know, see a doe, see how many things I can forget in my pack. And do you get excited about shooting does? Like, like I, when you're at full draws? And no, not really. Okay. I, I seem to be able to stay pretty calm. Mm -hmm. It's more of a, it's two things. Can I get a little meat for the freezer and yep. can I get my mechanics down as far as, you know, just the general process. There's no better way of doing it. Drawing on yep. a deer, when to stop, when to, you know, everything. Heck, you know, it's got a new camera guy this year, that process between me and He's him, the communication. I, <laughs> I have my hopes. So, <laughs> you know, it's all of those things. Um, the other reason, and this isn't necessarily the best reason to go hunt. But as far as what we do for a living, you know, Mark and Terry's farms may not be in the best condition this year. Terry specifically yeah, with, EHD. with EHD is just mm -hmm. getting hammered and still getting fine and dead deer day after day. And so, um, as far as content for our show 13, uh, we may be lacking because a lot of the content is Mark and Terry's farms. It's just encounters a good deer that mm -hmm. they pass. And if we might not have that, a, a good quality, um, you know, doe kill and, and maybe get lucky and have an early season encounter. Those types of things help us with what we're trying to produce for the TV show. Yeah, so give you more content. And, exactly. And, and, I, and, and I know when I was, before I was in this industry and watching our shows, I I in, always enjoyed a good goat uh, doe kill. A goat kill. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> it depends on what walks by and what kind of tags you no. have. If a if a goat walks by me and I've it's season. His email address is Tim. <laughs> no, <laughs> well, the but, goat lobby after me. Yeah, but no. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. I look forward to a good cold front though more so. Like I, that's the other part about it. Like I hate sitting out there and sweating. I I just I know mm -hmm. that you're. It's going to be the last 15 minutes until we see a deer. Right. You, you still got to get out there super early. It's just and you're going to sweat your butt off in the yeah, process. And yeah. So and, you know it. it that part I don't look forward to, but just once I get there and get settled and, and maybe stop profusely sweating, <laughs> then it's like, man, I missed Here this. Here we go. Yeah. I missed it. You know, you're back. I'm back. So I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I plan on being out. I don't know if I'll be out in the morning. Definitely be out in the evening. Um, still no good deer on my cameras. So that's the bummer part. It, it is, but I, I, I also don't mind it because I still like, the the notion of being surprised because that can happen at any second. Well, and honestly, what I've come to find in the last four or five years hunting this this piece is that MRI 
even though I may not be seeing the shooters or maybe it's that, oh, I'm seeing them now coming out this weird, you know, the, the, the agriculture might've changed in the area that yeah. you know, usually does, right? And beans and corn or whatever. It's like, oh, this year, you know, what worked last year is now they're coming out 400 yards away from me every night. That MRI is pretty tough to get unless you're out there. Sure. And so it is kind of multifaceted in that degree. It's like, all right, may, maybe it wasn't a success as far as did I release an arrow, but the MRI You're scouting. Yeah. Scouting that you can't get that unless you're out there. Mm-hmm. So from that perspective, it's always nice to be out yep. no matter what happens, unless you don't see anything. You spend the time on the road and yeah. it's an investment. Yeah. It is. My, my it. spot's about an hour and a half from my house. So, you know, it's like 45 minutes from the studio. So when it's during the week, you it's know, and bad. a cool front comes through, it's not bad. I just, sure. we just take off at one o'clock or in the early season, you know, our lunch and head up mm-hmm. and uh, get out. And, and then it's, you know, an hour and a half home, which early season, because of the daylight savings, it's, it's 10 o'clock. It's nine thirty, ten 10 o'clock till I get yeah, home. That's a late night. That, that kind of sucks. But as far as just in general, you know, like you said, an investment in time on a weekend, Saturday or Sunday, it's an hour and a half up, hour and a half back. It's a killer. It, it's, it's a grind. Yeah. You know, if you do that, you know, three times a week, you know, until it gets in that form, usually it doesn't get good until late October. And it's mm-hmm. like a two week stretch where it's good. That grinds on you. No doubt. So, which is what makes it so sweet when you finally kill. Well, I'll let you know when that finally <laughs> happens. I haven't, I've missed one there and, and really never had a great opportunity otherwise there. So here's hoping. Yeah. Yeah. We should probably tease what's coming up in the show. Later in the show, we've got our wildlife word, which especially if you're going to process your own deer, you're going to want to stick around for it. Okay. Uh, and then we also have um, our question of the day is about hunting in the rain. So we'll get to that after we introduce our guests. And if you spent an hour and a half getting to your spot, you're going to just sit there for training. No kidding. <laughs> it's, it's like, well, just stay here. here and hunt. That's right. Yes. So, well, so, uh, so people that are watching the show may be wondering why we have a lacrosse boot on the table. That's right. Well, it's because we have Chris Curra from Lacrosse joining us. Chris, the product line manager at Lacrosse Footwear. How's it going? What's up, Chris? Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, appreciate you joining us. He's he's joining us from sunny Portland, Oregon. <laughs> Is it it's actually not, sunny there? <laughs> <laughs> it's not sunny today. It's been uh, it's been rainy the last couple of days. I think that means falls actually here. So we're heading on to our gray winters that we get here. So. Chris, or Oregon. Oregon, which uh, I say Oregon. Um, I'm not an Oregon type of guy, I guess. I've heard but. a few Oregons out there. That sounds like a Japanese art of folding paper. <laughs> sounds like that for sure. <laughs> well, we we wanted to have you on um, because part of the one of the kind of the cool things we get to do is we get to try out new gear and and uh, and, and see how it works in the field. And there's kind of a feedback loop and uh, and how the thing is performing. And, and I know a, a big part of your guys' development process is just understanding the challenges and the problems that hunters face, and then coming up with solutions. So we thought it'd be kind of cool to peel back back the curtain a little bit to let our listeners and viewers know about how that process happens and maybe even talk about some of the specifics that you guys have found, like, here's the issue. Here's how we're addressing that for hunters, ultimately to make us more effective in the field. Yeah, no, I think the more time we have to um, evaluate um, hunters footwear in the field, uh, we like to uh, get people together and have them actually bring in their boots. And it gives us a lot of good ideas on how they're fitting the person, uh, what they like and what they don't like, uh, wear points on the boot, um, just different challenges that they face. Uh, and it's given us a lot of good insight on on ways we can make footwear better um, and perform better in the field. So um, I think as we look at our new Navigator series, it's a uh, was a good opportunity for us to take some of that on and really try to um, launch or relaunch lacrosse footwear in leather lace-up styles um, and still have it be meaningful for uh, the whitetail hunter as as well as the hunter that's that's journeying west Um, and that was a that was kind of a challenge for us we 
we're really good at rubber knee boots. We like to think that we are the professionals at uh, making rubber knee boots, especially for the whitetail hunter. Um, so it was also applying a lot of that know-how and a lot of what we know about being the professionals at rubber and really implementing that into uh, a leather boot. And and you see that in a lot of these styles, uh, a lot more rubber than you traditionally see on a, a lace-up boot. Well, and I think, you know, to, to kind of, backtracked on, on what you were saying, the, the rubber boot, the knee, the knee boot. I mean, everybody I think has seen over, over the time, a good lacrosse knee boot out there, whether it's on a construction it's site synonymous. or, yeah. a, you know, on a hunter or, you know, guy pouring concrete or whatever it is. I mean, I remember growing up in Mark and Terry, just, that's what we, that's what we wore. That's mm-hmm. all, all we wore forever. And, uh, so to then go to this style, you know, it's, it's something that seems from the outside looking in like a big change. For, for the company. But realistically, you guys have been involved with uh, kind of a hiker type boot for a while now, haven't you? Yeah, we have. Um, and I think, sorry, I keep, I actually have a pair of these boots and I keep looking at them. Um, so <laughs> I'll try to focus on the camera a little bit more, but we, uh, we have done leather lace up boots on the lacrosse side of our business uh, for quite a while. Uh, as long, way longer than I've been at the company. So probably 10, 12 years, I think, but it's all been really price point driven. Um, it's really about, you know, like a hundred to $120 boot. Um, our sister brand, uh, that we're really successful with, um, being Danner, uh, we've taken a lot of what we've learned there and tried to implement, uh, this, uh, what we know from that brand and those experiences into this boot as well. So it's not that we haven't had the experience of making lace up leather boots. Yeah. Um, it's more or less how we can uh, bring that position of that product into a more premium position and provide the end user a, a better experience in a lacrosse leather boot. So, um, so that's kind of the business side of it. Why don't you take us through a little bit uh, the actual, you know, from, from the concept to the final product, what, what is that step-by-step process? You don't have to get through the minutia of it, but you know, what, how do you go from an idea or where does the idea come from and then go from, okay, now let's test it. Let's, let's build it. Let's test it. And then let's go to market with it. Yeah. So, so really it comes down to, you know, what are the things that we want to solve? Um, wait, durability, comfort, and we try to prioritize those. And a lot of what we prioritized into this line of boots, the Navigator series is durability. Um, And you see that in that boot that you guys have have on your desk there, it's the Atlas. And you've got a lot of rubber coverage on that boot. You've got it in the toe. So we've developed a really nice rubber toe cap into the boot that's just giving you added durability on that front point of the boot that's probably receiving the most contact outside of the sole uh, with with brush, grass, dirt, uh, climbing the hills, you know, that that toe probably sees more use than than any other part of the boot that's really getting more down. So um, went with a heavier molded piece um, there. So it really kind of encompasses your toe. It almost looks exaggerated uh, as you look down from the top down view. Um, so integrated that into the toe. And then as you work back into the heel of the boot, you have what we're calling our, our DuraFit heel counter. Um, and that does a couple things. Um, that supports the durability. So as you're kicking boots off, um, as you're sitting, observing, watching, um, that can be a pretty high wear area of the boot as well. But the other thing that that's doing is actually kind of creating a really a strong support system for, for your heel. So as your heel gets locked into that boot and you lace up and it gets sucked into that heel counter, that, that is giving you a lot of support. It's going to create a a lot more comfort than it looks like it's going to do. It just really encompasses and holds that heel into place. So you're getting a lot of durability, but you're also, also gaining some comfort and support from that piece. Um, So, 
um, taking what we know from rubber, um, making sure that we have the best rubber compounds uh, available to integrate into this boot. Um, and that goes all the way down into the outsole as well as the midsole. So anywhere that we added rubber, um, we're using our know-how from what we knew about rubber boots and being able to make the best rubber compounds on the market and integrating it into to this boot. So durability was one thing. Um, and then you start getting into to comfort. So underfoot, uh, we have a really nice PU footbed. So wanted to use something, the one that is a little bit insulative. Um, so polyurethane, what we know from rubber boots, I would point to our Arrowhead Sport. It's a full tub of polyurethane around your foot. So to help combat heat loss underfoot, we integrated a nice poured PU footbed into, into the boot. Um, and then that goes into a rubberized EVA. So integrating rubber and EVA into the midsole gives you great energy return and comfort underfoot and then rubber uh, outsole. So that is using our LXG rubber compound. It's a sticky rubber compound. So when we wanted to integrate that into this boot, we really wanted to meet the needs of um, best traction possible in varying conditions. So whether you're on in mud, dirt, or on rock, uh, that traction was maximized. So that sticky rubber, even if it sits on a shelf, it tends to start to collect dust. That's how sticky it is. Um, but it's going to maximize traction in wet conditions, so in rain, or um, even in dry conditions. So. Uh, it's a great compound uh, that is, has worked really well. And so as we concept these things, we really start to identify those needs, durability and comfort um, without sacrificing too much weight. Anytime you add rubber, you, you tend to sacrifice weight, but these boots turned out um, to be uh, a really decently weighted uh, platform for us. Um, and then it's time to send it to the field. We'll develop it, go through a couple rounds of prototyping, make sure the patterns are cut, make sure that the fit feels good, um, no hot spots, things like that. And then we send it out into the field for 30 to 60 days um, and gain feedback and make some adjustments from that standpoint. Chris, when so, you say hot spots, what do you mean by that? So hot spots, when you make uh, a boot, so where seams run, where two points of leather come together um, and where stitching runs, or like in this boot, you have the, the rubber heel counter. There's a lot of seaming. Typically, when you layer up all those materials into one spot, you can get a hot spot on your foot. Um, seams on the back of the heel tend to be a traditional hot spot um, for people as their heel moves and they have heel slip and their heel goes up and down. So we try to identify those spots early in the process so that we can either um, reinforce or back with more foam to give more comfort okay. or, or reposition that um, seam to land in a different spot in the foot. Because ultimately so, you're talking about avoiding blisters. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. So that's a big part of it, right? So avoiding blisters, um, avoiding just discomfort in general, even if you're not getting a even if you're not getting a blister, just that discomfort of of walking where you just want to stop walking um, is important to us. And it's tough, though, because everybody's foot's different. Um, everybody's foot has a different volume, has a different shape, has a different hot spot. So it's hard to counter that 100 um, percent. But we can do the best based on our testers in the office, out of the office to eliminate those key areas. And it typically falls in the same spot. It falls in the ankle, it falls in the heel, uh, or it falls over the, over the top of the foot somewhere where your flex notches, where the boot flexes and, and moves. So, um, we try to eliminate that as much as possible, but then encourage people to try to go find a boot that fits um, I, I love to promote our product, but I would, I would say more so to, and people looking for new footwear to go get fit, understand your size, understand the size of your arch, understand, um, how a boot fits and then find a boot that fits you. Um, the Atlas may not fit you. Um, go find a boot that fits you. Along those lines, you know, I have a question, you know, so say, you know, say you size, wear a size. 
10 and a tennis shoe, is there a certain, you know, okay, you'd be a 10 and a half in a boot early season when it's a lighter sock, maybe you're a straight 10, but later season you're a 10 and a half. So you got some wiggle room for thicker socks or is there kind of a standard per se that, that, that makes sense for people? Yeah, I think I think the important thing is when you actually are going and shopping for boots, take the socks that you're going to wear and find that happy meeting. If you don't have the ability to buy multiple pairs of shoes to get you through multiple seasons, so an uninsulated boot for early season and then getting into an insulated boot later seasons, you know, take that sock combination that you're going to wear. If it's a lightweight merino wool sock or a combination of a, a lighter synthetic sock with the wool sock, take that in uh, and make sure that that boot fits with that combination. I think, um, I think there's people that find a happy medium. I tend to wear a lightweight sock and a medium weight sock, and that's my go-to. Um, maybe late season, I might layer in and just wear a heavier sock and 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 go with that. But um, I'm also wearing a different boot. So I tend to try to find that system that works for me. Um, and that's that's how I like to think about it as a, as a system. It's not just your boot, but it's also your socks. What I've um, noticed is like, you know, I'll, I'll have one size and then in the early season or the summer, if I'm out and I'm not wearing say a hiker and I'm wearing my knee boots that I wear during, during the season, uh-huh. I end up with some sort of blister on my heels because I got too much oh, yeah, too room much in there. there. Yeah. And it's our, it's, you know, and then once you get into the season, when you're wearing your hunting socks, it's like, Hey, this is the perfect fit. Mm-hmm. But I've noticed that you know, a time or two in the summer where I'm wearing maybe my hunting boot from the fall. If I'm trying to avoid ticks or if it's wet out or whatever yeah, it or is, there's a snake around. There you go. <laughs> so don't touch me. <laughs> <laughs> don't tell my secrets. Tim. <laughs> okay. But, but Chris, you bring up a good point about the uh, sock liners. Cause n- I don't think enough people really know that you, you could wear a, a, a you know, a, a, a thinner, maybe tighter sock against your skin and then wear another sock over that. And then that kind of puts, the friction between those two pairs of socks as opposed to your skin in the sock. Yeah. And the other thing that that's doing too, is it's managing the moisture around your foot, right? So moisture equals friction. You get a wet, soggy foot and that skin gets soft and tender. And then you add the friction to that. Like that's when you're going to start getting a blister. So having that like synthetic sock layered on top with a kind of a heavier, warmer wool sock mm-hmm. around it, that synthetic is going to pull that moisture away from your foot, then it's going to go into the wool. And then hopefully it lets the boot do the rest, whether it's a rubber boot and the, the polyurethane liner is going to pull that moisture up out of the top of the boot. Um, and, and it's about, it's the same as your, your kind of your, your clothing, like you're trying to manage that moisture and wick that moisture away from your, your body. You're doing the same thing with your foot. Whatever you do, don't wear cotton socks. You'd be amazed at how many people that I see still wearing cotton socks with their hunting boots. And that cotton is just absorbing and holding that moisture versus pulling it away from your skin. Um, so I think there's a lot uh, to be said for your sock system and figuring out what that is. And if uh, Matt was leading to a point where he likes to maybe use a lighter weight sock before he gets into his uh, actual hunting season socks and he experiences heel slip, there's creative ways to lace boots that help really lock in your heel and adjust the fit of the boot as well. Um, I think that's another thing that people tend to miss is um, lacing up your boots just isn't lacing up your boots day to day. It's um, there's creative ways to alleviate um, like hot spots or pressure over the top of your foot or or heel slippage just by changing the way you loose lace your boots Um, going all the way around the back. Yeah, well, that's one thing. a few examples are um, a surgeon's knot, and I actually have a pair, and I can I'll show you a few examples of this. One thing I I love to do um, when I'm lacing my boot to prevent heel slip, um, a surgeon's knot, or I sometimes will call it like a double. Uh, just a double overhand knot. So you usually do that when you tie your knot, you loop those over once. 
Um, I tend to do it a little bit lower than what's in this example. This is just an easy way to show, but I tend to do that knot right here. And what that does is that really pulls the pressure of the boot back here um, on the boot. And it's kind of going to force your heel back into where it needs to be and lock that down and eliminate a little bit of that heel slip. And it also is a great way to like lock the lace in place so it won't loosen up over time. It really tightens and locks it down, which is uh, I found to be very useful. I tend to do one here and then I'll do that again up here as well. And that helps keep my my regular knot um, tied in place. I've never, um, never knew that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, Tim, so that's Tim just whipped cool it out here. He knew it. He always knows not. this stuff. The the knot. Yes. Do not mention that again. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm a runner, so uh, when I was oh, experimenting just with work that in. Listen, idiot. This is how <laughs> I know this. <laughs> when I was when I was first starting to run, I was experimenting with different shoes, and they all have different you know different cut, different fit, and uh, and I and I was getting blisters on my heels because I had too much room in that heel cup, and so I started doing the heel lock to 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 lock the shoe a little closer, snugger on my foot back there, so I wouldn't have that uh but it's yeah it, it can it, your feet can make or break your hunt that that's why i mean this isn't the sexiest podcast we've done <laughs> but but it's it's mission critical information certainly late well early season, if you're western hunting you know big oh, time it, it yeah. could ruin your hunt and and then late season i guess those would be the two critical things in late season you know even midwestern hunting tree stand hunting whatever dude you only got the right socks on or you get the wrong pair of thinselet shoes or whatever mm -hmm. boots or whatever you talk about the first if your toes go it's the first thing you know toes and fingers it, and it, it makes don't it miserable. get her back like no. once they get cold they're not getting warm nope, again nope not coming back <laughs> so you don't ever hear anybody leaving the stand for being too warm, right? Yeah. Like you hear people leaving the stand for being cold or, yeah. or leaving the field from, from your toes getting, getting frozen. Well, um, I, I think, think that that goes to be said, like I've always, I've always envisioned or always seen my feet as like the foundation of uh, whatever I'm doing. Like if I take care of my feet and then obviously layer up properly on, on top as well, I, I'm going to be out be able to stay out there as long as possible. Well, I think so. in, in, in our industry in general, that's one of the talking points for apparel and, and, and footwear and it's being more able time to, on task. Yeah. So once you get there, being able to stay there and, and, you know, our question of the day later is kind of going to go towards that, mm -hmm. this very principle, but you know, with, with clothing, it's become thinner and, you know, and, and lightweight. And I remember back in the day, you know, back, you know, early 2000s the stuff we were hunting in was so heavy heavy yeah. heavy heavy stuff and even back then like the boots i got some still some lacrosse boots like that were heavy heavy boots Moon that boots. were really yeah i mean you know and it just was the technology at the sure. time but now it's amazing how lightweight and, and thin the stuff can be and still have that same uh, protection that you need. Yeah. Is that something that's really evolved big time for you guys over the last decade or so? Yeah, I think it is. And I think as technology gets better and types of insulation improve, um, it's, it's allowed us to um, create those lighter weight, um, lighter weight platforms that perform just as good as your old, like 2000 gram yeah. pack boots or whatnot. Now you have more of a lighter weight, um, hiking style with 1200 grams of Prima loft in it. And, um, that just inherently has a better insulative property to it based on how much air is trapped between all the, the, the fibers of the insulation and things like that. And it just gives you a lot of opportunity to, to be a little more nimble on your feet and, and, and not be kind of weighed down and, and tired out just by having a heavy boot on your foot. Um, I think that's the other thing that I would touch on too is, you know, we talked about heel slippage and, and fit of the boot, but also when it comes to like keeping your feet warm, don't have a super tight boot. Um, give yourself some room. Um, if you're trying to stretch that, 
you know, early season boot into the end of the fall or late seasons, and you're just putting on a heavier sock, but now the boot is so tight fitting. What you're doing is you're cutting off circulation to your foot and circulation is really what helps keep your foot warm. Um, so make sure it's, make sure you don't have a super snug fitting boot. Give yourself some room. Um, what a lot of people will do too, is they'll actually size up their boot for late season. And that gives them enough room to, wear a heavier sock, uh, but it also creates a little bit more of an air gap in there to where it's holding, holding weight itself. And that's more on the rubber boot side, I would say. Um, but like in rubber boots, late season, a little bit of, a little bit of space and room in the boot can be your friend simply because it's going to help insulate your foot and create a little bit of an air gap. Um, versus cutting off circulation and, and eliminating, eliminating that, that space for your foot to really function properly. Sure. Good to know. We could do a whole episode on like just foot care for, for the field. We just did a whole episode. We could talk about how you're supposed to trim your toenails. Oh, you know, it's funny because dad always like before shed season, mm-hmm. he, yeah, I always thought it was funny. Like you do interviews for, you know, when we were doing white tail madness and oh, yeah. reality series. And there was a part about, Hey, trim your toenails and lace up your boots. And I was like, that's a weird thing to say, but he's dead on like going yes. or if you're out West or whatever. And these early season, big hiking, like that's one thing that you don't really think about, but makes a big difference. Yeah. If your toenails aren't, and they typically say trim them kind of square with your toe, but if they're too long there you're going to get forced from the, the from the toe from the toe box hitting there every every footstep and you can bruise them and you can actually blow off your toenails which is jesus not, <laughs> it's it's it's, it's a, a family it's podcast a, it is <laughs> one of the races i was running it was a marathon and a guy blew off his big toenail and <laughs> took off his shoe and ran with a bloodied sock on his right foot carrying his right shoe because i bet he did uh, not trim his toenails. i got a similar story but it happened at the party cove like those arcs in college <laughs> can't similar, talk about different. it on the air because <laughs> wouldn't be appropriate <laughs> but i I know that man's feelings. <laughs> here's a here's an interesting fact for you too. It involves long toenails and and boots. So Good, we need more. Um, our war. If you talk to our warranty department, it's interesting. I, I laughed at this when I first first heard this and learned about it as well. We have a lot of people send boots back for leakers. And the warranty department does all these tests and tests for the leaks and tries to identify where it's leaking, all that stuff. They'll test that actual person's boot or they'll just grab the same. They'll they'll test the boot that comes in um, that the person returned and whatnot. But they have been able to identify that somebody's long toenail for not cutting their toenails has actually worn through the waterproof liner of the boot. thus created a leak, not letting their their feet get uh, stay dry. So, yeah, cut your toenails and your boots might last a little longer. Sort of Seinfeld or something. (laughs) Off air, I will tell you about the toenail necklace guy. No, thank you. I don't want to hear it. (laughs) Pass. Good stuff. Good stuff. I might stay on to hear that. (laughs) Make sure to bring Chris in. Well, Chris, thank you. Thank you so much. I mean, I I know that uh, on the outset, I, I, I don't think people probably give footwear, foot care, the the credit it's due in terms of how it impacts the quality and successfulness of your hunt. Before we let you go, I think Tim's got one other question though, that that is a really good one as it it pertains to the rubber and boots and whether it's a rubber boot or a lace up boot that has rubber. Yeah. Thank you for eavesdropping on my notes. (laughs) I I forgot forgot about that. Yeah. (laughs) So, so, and and, and I I do this, I scent crush all my, all my gear, but I know that there are precautions that that they say that certain types of rubbers interact differently with that, with those ozone molecules. What are there any directives you would give for people wanting to scent crush ozone their boots? Um, I guess, this is, I, I was wondering if this was going to come up too. So I've been trying to prep myself. So this has been something that I've been exploring and testing. I actually have a scent crusher bag under my desk. Okay. And I actually, um, uh, and it's something that I've used uh, a little bit in the past. And I've been trying to determine real life, like how much does ozone affect rubber boots? And, and really, when you look at the science of it, 
ozone is rubber's enemy, right? That's what breaks down rubber. And the more natural rubber you use in a boot, uh, the quicker that's going to break down based on ozone. Um, the more fillers you have in a rubber boot, um, and that's kind of the way rubber's made. You have some natural rubber and you add some filler and um, it's kind of a, a chemistry experiment to, to make the rubber. Um, what I found personally, um, and maybe, maybe I shouldn't frame this as like a, a lacrosse standpoint. Um, I haven't noticed a whole lot of breakdown. Um, but over time you will start to see some of the negative effects. So typically what I've done, um, as I have used it, I have the scent crusher boot dryer as well. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'll take that, that with me to Kansas or Illinois or wherever I, I go whitetail hunting cause I want my boots to dry out. Um, and I'll use them for the boot drying function and then I'll hit them with a little bit of ozone on the inside. Um, and then on the outside, um, I've, I've done a lot where I've literally just ran that bag for hours under my desk and haven't seen too many negative effects. Okay. Um, but over time, I believe you will start to see it. I just haven't got what, how many hours that is or what that time frame is. Sure. Um, but it hasn't been as immediate as I thought it was going to be. Um, but I think if you do it in small levels um, and don't overdo it, uh, maybe how you would do your apparel, you, you can be successful. Um, but uh, I think it's definitely something to revisit and something I'm going to keep doing and to try to determine what that what that effect is. Yeah, it's certainly, you know, in the last five years, I think it's certainly part of the uh, landscape of hunting, yeah. a, a growing part and, and becoming more widely acceptable for, you, you know, there was a time there you go into a hunting camp and you wouldn't have seen those types of units or bags or entry units. And now you, a lot of people have gravitated towards it in one form or another. I've stopped showering. Yeah. Well, I can tell on in the truck. <laughs> we use it here in our bathrooms <laughs> for good reason. <laughs> Not enough. So it, it's just one of those things that's becoming more widely accepted. And it, you know, I think it'd behoove, behoove any company to test that any footwear company to test those parameters and try to come up with a guide for people because there yeah. is with anything it, too much of anything can be a bad thing. Mm -hmm. So there's probably some certain level of, you know what, if you did it 15 minutes a day, every day for four months, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't affect it. But if it did 30 minutes a day, every day for four months, then you see breakdown or whatever that yeah, equation just is. Just something I, for people to go by. Yeah. General guide. But, uh, you know, people are definitely, it's a part of hunting camp now. And it's one of those things that it's a question I get a lot just yeah. through emails or, you know, on social media or whatever. It's like, what does it do to boots? What does it do to safety harnesses? And mm -hmm. generally speaking, I say, it's, supposedly it's not great for rubber. I don't know. You, you know, your own discretion and I wouldn't put your safety harness in there at all. Yeah. You know, and that's the general thing we tell our own team not to use, use it for a safety just harness. Where the sprays come in. Yeah. Still. Yeah, but other than that, we're pretty much bathing in the stuff. You know, it's in yep. the tree, it's in, you know, the on our bags, in the closet, in the vehicle. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we believe in it, certainly. Sure. Yeah. Well, thanks for your candor. I appreciate that. The ongoing research you're doing, Chris. Yeah. And I think we'll, I think there's more to be determined on that uh, level and kind of what Matt led to. Like, if we can come up with that standard or those guidelines to, you know, maximize your efficiency and your scent control while wearing our boots. I think that's a positive. I think that's a good thing. I uh, just don't think we're a hundred percent there yet, but, but working towards it. So uh, definitely something to keep in mind. Sounds uh, like a future podcast. Right. Let's do it. <laughs> yes. Well, Chris, thank you for joining us. Uh, we, we appreciate it. Uh, if folks want to find out more about the, maybe the navigator series, the Atlas boo, where would they do that? Uh, best spots to go to our website. So lacrossefootwear.com. Perfect. All right. Well, and then, you know, beyond that, if you have questions, our customer service team, you know, they're really good. They're really good at getting answers and um, pretty knowledgeable themselves. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of ways to, to get a hold of us, whether it's through social, through our website, through our customer service team. So um, don't be scared to, to reach out. We've got a good team. So cool. Well, I'll make sure we link up that contact information, the notes, and we will uh, say goodbye. And thank you to Chris. 
thanks for joining us again. And uh, we're going to keep on rolling with the show. All right. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate your time today, buddy. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Safe hunting this year. And I'm going to ask you to stop touching my boots. Well, I don't have a pair, so (laughs) I had to. And I have been using these boots. I've been out checking trail cams with them and... They're a little warm this time of year. Well, I was going to say, those are 1,200. So, yeah, you got... Insulation. Yeah. So, I'm well, I'm not going to freeze <laughs> by any stretch. Um, so, why don't we do this? Why don't we roll into the wildlife... Or not the wildlife word. Let's roll into the question of the day. Because it's a good one. It's for early season. Yeah. And we'll we'll probably try to get through it pretty quick and, and um, for the wrap sake things of up. Our listeners. Yeah. So question of the day is brought to you by the new Lacrosse Navigator series. Over a hundred years of expertise culminates in these new lace-up boots that are a hundred percent waterproof and a hundred percent ready to go farther and hunt longer. And I think that's very appropriate because we got a good dose of navigator series that's today. Right. That's right. And this question comes from Chris in Alabama. I had a question about hunting in the rain. I know, you know, obviously you don't want to hunt when it's pouring down raining and the wind is blowing like crazy, but what about hunting when it's a steady rain all day? And with that question, is it better to hunt like when the rain's near the end of the rain or, you know, before it's going to rain or is it okay to hunt during the rain? That's just a question that I've always kind of wondered all right guys i appreciate it yeah we appreciate you taking the time to ask us the question chris absolutely and you know he's it's a good question so give your thoughts and then i'm gonna kind of jump in on some things that might help hunting in the rain sure so uh it kind of does depend on where you're hunting if if that's the only time you have to hunt and that's the and, and you've traveled a great distance then obviously do obviously obviously go hunt but i i i think whitetails respond to rain like people do like if it's if it's a light mist they'll probably they'll probably be out in it but if it's a soaker that you wouldn't want to walk out into then then they're not going to walk want to walk out into it also if it's a quick hit rain i think those are ideal and and, and we're doing this early season because there's a lot of energy in the atmosphere this time of year pop-up thunderstorms tend to happen exactly and and so and what happens after the thunderstorm is the important part usually it's ushered in but there's a little cool front or even a cold front that, that comes in with that and that can really get deer up and moving big time that's what you're looking for realistically that's that's an ideal scenario so if you can withstand the conditions and, and you know and it's not lightning or something crazy like right. that because we've had i've had those instances early season two where i'm sitting in a tree and it's like all right it's if we can withstand the weather conditions it's fixing to be really good when this passes, but when it's lightning and you're in a tree and you're sitting in a metal stand and that's when you probably need to be smart and get out. And like that guy from the great outdoors. Yeah, exactly. Times. Yeah. So, you know, but there, you know, there are great in general, the gear today is so good. I, I think you pretty much can cover yourself and be out there in conditions unless it's just totally brutal stuff. But, you know, like Nomad, for instance, and this is a shameless plug because they, they're a partner of ours, you know, but they have this CYA packable rain pant, packable rain jacket. What do you think the acronym stands Well, <laughs> I know exactly what it cover stands for. Yeah. So it's, it's great. It's great. This thing's money and I keep mine packed into my pack. Uh-huh. So it's super lightweight and it literally folds in and out from the pocket of the garment. That's slick. It, yeah. It's really slick. So I, t- I always have this thing in my pack. It's fairly, it c- conduces down to a pretty small size. Okay. I don't know, maybe four by four type thing. It's like a little football. Sure. And <clears throat> have that in and I'm always covered, always covered. And I actually keep a spare set in my Ram box in the truck in oh, the Ram yeah. because you never know. Like, say I'm not hunting, say I'm just out, you know, with the kids or yeah. whatever. Or in a park festival. What, exactly. I got, I'm covered. So that's a one, one piece of gear. And then boot wise, you know, I, 
I think that there's a ton of great options anymore. Pretty much anything with a semi-permeable membrane, whether that's Gore-Tex yeah. or uh, um, I, I know Lacrosse has their own. Most most boot companies have their own proprietary yeah. semi-permeable permeable membranes. Yeah, that keep your feet dry. Well, and even to go backtrack a little bit, you know, say you didn't want to go the extra step. I know the the rednecks out there are like, hey, all you need is a trash bag. We've used that too. <laughs> believe me, I think there's yeah. an episode of 13 this year where Marks and Waiter in a trash bag. Classy. So. That's it used to back in the day, we used to have a trash bag in every camera bag. That's that was oh, a sure. must. We'd have a black trash bag in every single camera bag and we'd cover our camera gear so we could keep yeah. filming because that's an added element for us that we got to really pay attention to. Things. It does. So, you know, we would do that. But as far as just general gear, you mentioned the Gore-Tex and all that. Just about any uh, apparel company out there, most stuff is water resistant. You know, for the most part, they have some sort of material there, unless it's just like a pure cotton where it's, a, right. you know, where it's one of those deals where it's a super quiet garment. It may not be as water resistant, but even those have, it's almost like a spray on them, you know, the that, DWR. That, exactly. Treatment, yeah. So, you know, unless it's just a total downpour, for the most part, if you got some decent gear, you're able to sit, sit through, through it. it. And if you can sit through it, boy, it's like fishing. As soon as the rain stops, throw a line out and you're going to hit. It's it's one of those fishing kind of deals. advice with Matt Drury. Yeah, well, yeah I'd never think <laughs> I'd say that. <laughs> don't listen. Don't, don't listen. <laughs> <laughs> but but the, the other aspect of, of a good rain is that if it's got them locked down, if you're there when it stops, they're going to want to get up and stretch and they're going to want to eat. And they, they do. It's amazing. The footage that we've seen through throughout the 30 years of the team and Mark and Terry and those deer get up and they shake off and they'll start eating. They'll come out to a food source or yeah. whatever the case may be. It's, it'll get deer going and it's an instant, you know, especially if it's a fast storm front, it's an instant change in atmosphere conditions, the pressure, yep. the, the temperature, all those things. It's like, it, it's almost like a deer drive for you right. at the right yeah. time of the year. Just got to be out there. That's right. So, so, yeah. So, so it's a little more of a complex answer re regarding hunting in the rain, but it can really lead to some pretty in incredible opportunities, yeah. especially early season. You know, and if you have the, the ability to have a little shooting house of some sort, you know, whether it's homemade or a, a one that you've bought, those are deluxe. Yeah, <laughs> you, can, well, you can withstand anything. Mm -hmm. So be out there by all means. No doubt. Uh, wildlife word? Sure. Let's do it. <laughs> especially, and this is especially relevant if folks have had early season success. You're process, maybe you're processing your own deer. Today's wildlife word, call fat. Call fat. Two words. C-A-U-L. Okay. Call fat. Okay. Call fat is the thin membrane of fat that encases the intestines and offal of a deer. I actually knew this one. And... Well, now you say that after I've gotten halfway through the definition. I knew that. I actually did. No <laughs> lie. They they say that it's great for for baking. Like it's it's, yeah. it's the, the the one bit of fat on a deer that's actually not bitter and has a good flavor to it. Yeah, because deer's not like cattle, and you know the the, the fat on a on a cow is delicious, but most we, deer fat is not. Yeah, we and we were just talking about this early season. You know, we were talking about opening day here in the office today, yep. and the dilemma of. All right. Say the scenario happens. You got a doe walk out in front of you and I need to manage the doe herd there pretty badly. It's, I got a picture, a reconics picture where I got like 15 deer and one small food plot and most of them are does and it's, it's, it needs, and we even the last couple of years have, have taken that approach where we need to take some does when we can. Yeah. And not a, not every opportunity presents itself that way. Say it does, it's super hot out because it's supposed to be like 87, I think, 88, somewhere in there on opening day in the St. Louis area. So what do you do if you don't, it's a Sunday. So most processing places are closed. Say yeah. I don't have the setup at home to process my own deer. What do you do? in that scenario to make sure your meat doesn't spoil. So that's, what would you do? That's tough. Well, have some ice on hand. Thankfully th I've got the setup under my deck at home. So that's, yeah. that's not because that's where I will process my own deer, but I have had to preserve deer for a few days during early season. And I've gotten a big, a big, like a big cold, like a coffin sized cooler. And obviously you want to get them. I only have the cooler because I put dead bodies. In. <laughs> That's okay. why I wasn't going to say it. 
<laughs> but you, you 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 gut the deer, field dress it as soon as you can, and then I put I put this buck in there, and I put ice in the cabinet. I, I yeah. kept the ice in the bag to try to keep it as dry as possible because moisture just breeds bacteria. And shove the body cavity. I think I got two bags of ice in this thing, and then tried to close the lid as best I could. But it kept for a. I was doing a. a, a, a a field dressing seminar at a local library and I wanted to bring a deer to show people how to, how to do it. And 3d baby. It, it was, it was real. It, it was a really great, it was a really great session, but, but it was amazing how that coldness. If you do so say so yourself. I, I would hire me back to do that any day, <laughs> but even the hooves on the deer were cold. They were sticking out, but that, that cold just sucked the heat out of the entire body. And I would have to change a bag, you know, every now and again, yeah. but that that's probably the best way that I can think of, unless you have a place to hang. Because if you don't have the means, that's a serious issue. To you, you do not want your meat to spoil, obviously. And, yeah. So you got to handle it properly. So yeah, and if you can get a mesh bag to keep over to keep the flies from laying <laughs> larvae on it, like you, you, you want to do that. Yeah. So yeah. hopefully, a problem that we will face. This that's weekend. right. So, all right, let's wrap this thing up. If you want to uh, submit a question to the show, go to dreamoutdoors.com slash podcast, click the send voicemail button. It's easy to do. Leave your name, location, and what your question is. And a few quick points of business. First of all, next week, I believe it is, I think it's the 16th through the 20th. Hey, Scott, is that right for Deer Week? Yeah, so 16th through the 20th, MOTV. It's they're having a special and it's deer, deer weeks going on on the outdoor channel. And then I think MOTV's run some sp- sort of special where it's like a full week of jury outdoors content for free. They've never done it before, but it's something that you guys want to check out. So it's the missing link of, I get the question all the time. Yeah. Like, Hey, can, can I go to deer cast and get all of the jury outdoors content that's ever been made? No, you can't. You can get all of the DVDs, all of the VHS content, all of the DOD TV stuff that we put online. Literally all of that is in DeerCast. But the Outdoor Channel, who owns MOTV, the app, they actually have the rights to our Outdoor Channel TV shows until 2021. So I always push people over to check it out over on MOTV and they have everything available. Well, it it is a paid app. It's a paid service. So now you can check it out for free for a week and get your fix here leading into deer season. So I did want to mention that. And then ultimately the big push here, obviously deer season's here. Deer cast is here. New version. It's bad to the bone, man. We've tweaked the algorithm. We have uh, got new features. It's yeah. it's really changed the way that we're doing business internally and looking at how we track deer and how we go about trying to get on a deer, you know, all those things. So it's, it's streamlined a lot of stuff. It's got a lot of great information in there. You just got to check it out. So and, and we've had people with success stories finding their deer because they use track. Yeah. The feature called DeerCast Track revolutionary, never done to this extent before. And we basically take a map of a deer and you could place your finger anywhere with a cursor on the deer where you feel like you hit your deer and it'll populate some hits from our library. We take four experts and probably four or 5,000 track jobs between the four of them. It's incredible. And uh, we basically tell you what their expert advice would be on trying to recover that animal. So Early season here, there's a, all season. There's a lot of reasons why you would want it. Early season, you know, time is of the essence when it's no hot. Doubt. So uh, it, it's good, valuable information to have yeah. at your fingertips. We should also welcome all the new listeners to the podcast. We see kind of on a weekly basis uh, how many people are listening, and there's obviously an uptick this time of year. Yep. Uh, do subscribe to the show. That that just makes sure that you get the most recent show immediately when it launches, and it's free to get. All right. I think that does it, man. Let's do it. Thanks for watching, everyone. Safe hunting, everybody.